you would take your Bibles and go to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, if you're visiting with us, you go to the chair in front of you, there's a black Bible there. You can pull out that black Bible and go towards the back <clears throat> and find page 181, 181 to find First Peter 2. We're going to study verses 4 through 10 this morning. First Peter 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. I'll read the passage and then we'll begin our study. <clears throat> Chapter 2, verse 4. And coming to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but chosen, honored from God, you also as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built up unto a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices pleasing to God through Jesus Christ. For it is contained in Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone, chosen and honored cornerstone, and the one who believes in him shall never be disgraced. Therefore to you, the ones who believe, is honor. For those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, rejected, this became the very cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word, and to this they were also appointed. Verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Priests existed from the earliest days of human history, recorded as far back as 5500 BC, coming down to the Sumerian and the Akkadian cultures. Of course, sacrifices were done first by God Himself in Genesis chapter 3, and then in Genesis 4, and then Genesis chapter 8 and 9 with Noah. But no actual priests are mentioned until Genesis chapter 14 with Melchizedek. When Israel became a nation, they also had priests like the other nations around them. And they would, the priests would serve as mediators between God and the nation. But there was a difference though that Israel had from all the other nations. The other nations did not have this, but Israel did. Yes, they had priests at sacrifice. I'm not saying that they didn't have that. They did. But what the Lord told the people, the nation of Israel as a whole, is that 
the people themselves were priests. This was different. In other words, Israel itself would serve as a representation of God to the whole world. So they would look to their priests. The priests would be the mediator between them and God. And the Lord said, You, Israel, as a nation, you are priests. You mediate me to the whole world. Israel would both worship the Lord, but also witness to the world that God was gracious and merciful. Same concept now, and yet in a greater form, is seen in the church. So as we look at Peter, Peter's theme is because, or on the basis of God's grace, be wise, winsome weirdos in this wicked world. Today we'll see in our passage, mercifully chosen to be his worshipers and witnesses. We have been mercifully chosen, honored, to be God's worshipers and his witnesses. Oh, it's interesting. I just noticed lots of W words. Wise, winsome, weirdos, wicked, worshippers, witnesses. Wow, that's really weird. Get it, Willie? Is no, okay. Just make sure nobody's sleeping yet. <clears throat> Statements for you. God graciously chose to give us His mercy by making us His holy chosen worshipers in the world and witnesses to the world the world who will consider us to be crazy weirdos wackos that's how they will think of us that's how they think of you as the Lord Jesus was chosen and honored by God so God has chosen and honored us his people by giving us his gracious mercy so that we will believe in his chosen honored son the responsibility of the priesthood is to worship and witness to offer spiritual sacrifices and declare God's praises that's what we're going to see and this great responsibility and involve, excuse me, this great privilege involves great responsibility. It's a privilege that we have this. But our responsibility is offering sacrifices to Jesus, through Jesus to God, and being witnesses or representing His mercy to the world. That's our responsibility. The privilege is being chosen and elect. The responsibility is us offering to God spiritual sacrifices and displaying His mercy to the world. So that in the midst of disaster, or what may look like disaster, we triumph, especially for us who may suffer for the cause of Christ. Though we may be humiliated and distressed, we have such exhilarating joy because of our honored, privileged status as God's elect people. 
What a privilege to have this status. And yet what a great responsibility we have. The reality is that we possess all the blessings of Old Testament Israel and yet in so much greater measure. Now, I'm not saying we're the new Israel. I don't believe that. No, we're called the church. Jews and Gentiles have become one. But as God has dealt with Israel in the Old Testament, now he's dealing with the church in the New Testament. But there's not two peoples of God. There's one people of God. We are the people of God. It's one Look, whatever the world thinks of Jesus, he is honored by God. God's honored chosen servant. And look, whatever the world thinks of us, we are God's honored chosen servants called to represent him to the world. You can be encouraged by that statement. We offer spiritual sacrifices we represent his mercy to the world as his chosen, honored, holy priesthood. We are most privileged. Most privileged. That's by way of introduction. And you can already see there's two main points. Worshippers and witnesses. So we're going to look at how we are worshippers and we're going to look at how we are witnesses. And then right in the middle of that, you're going to see those who, who are not worshipers, who are not witnesses, who do not believe. What say God about them? We'll look at that in a moment. First, let's start out in verses 4 through 7. Holy, chosen, honored worshipers in the world. By the way, chosen and honored, those two words are used what I have at least three different times in our text and it's implied two other times so a total of almost five times within the passage verses 4 through 10 I think Peter's trying to make a point what do you think we are a holy chosen honored priesthood that offers sacrifices to God starting in verse 4 and coming to him, a living stone. To him goes back to verse 3 when he says, um, since you've tasted that the Lord is good, the Lord, that's the one you're coming to. As you come to him, and then notice he calls him living stone. It's an oxymoron. When's the last time you call a stone living? Well, that's weird. Huh? Another W word. That's creepy. Why would he call him that? Well, notice chapter 1, verse 3, we have a living hope. Chapter 1, verse 23, the living word. Bless you. And now he's the living stone. Jesus is the one who's alive, resurrected, and he gives life. A living stone as opposed to a dead one. Notice, rejected by men. Now that phrase, he's going to take things, he's going to um, unpack that more later on. But the idea is, here's the living stone rejected by men. And, and the idea of rejection is just not, eh, blowing off Jesus. It was through critical examination and testing, they purposely opposed him. That's important. 
Because that will be the same thing that people will do with us as Christians. They will purposely oppose you. By critical examination, you will be rejected as Jesus has been rejected. Peter's going to make that correlation with us to Jesus. So though people rejected him, notice, he says... Now, you have in your New American Standard choice and precious in the sight of God. A better word besides precious is honored. That's a better word to translate. So, honored, chosen from God, literally. Or chosen and highly respected. As Jesus was rejected... By men, by God he was honored. By God he was elect. By God he was chosen. Highly respected. We as his people in the same way, we will be rejected by men, but honored by God for believing in his son. He's going to make that correlation. The one rejected by people was honored by God this is the one to whom we come. A great privilege that was reserved only for Old Testament priests to come to God. But now we can come without shame. And with Jesus, we share in God's electing love. So he says, coming to him, a living stone, rejected by men, chosen and honored, from God, verse 5, you also, as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built up. You as living stones, we are living stones, part of a living place where God dwells. Not dead stones from a physical building. It's not about a physical building. We become part of the building of which Jesus is going to be called the cornerstone. So this building is alive. And like Jesus, we have become living stones honored by God. Notice the correlation he's making. Jesus, living stone. You also are living stones. Jesus is a living stone. You are living stones. And notice the idea he's going to place into, the, into our minds is the idea and the place is the temple. The temple was a place where God was, right? God's presence was there. He communicated with his people. He received their gifts, sacrifices, and prayers. Um, his presence made it holy. God's people, they were called to be holy as well. They were to approach God with awe and, and with wonder and fear. And remember, only the, the, the high priest could come into the most holy place. So that's the temple. Well now Peter's trying to take that and say, there's no longer about this temple. Now there's a spiritual temple, a spiritual house. You are being built as living stones, a spiritual house. As living stones, we are a spiritual house under the power and influence of the Spirit. And what's the result? What does he say? For a holy priesthood. 
We're distinct. We're separate now. So we are the place where God dwells with humanity. A great privilege has been given to us as Christians. How, how do you see God primarily at work in this world? How will some of your unsaved friends might say that? They'll say, well, you look at the mountains, right? You look at creation. Peter's saying, you look at the church. And, and a church, he's not talking about a building. He's talking about people. We're all living stones. People. Interesting too, when we came to faith in Jesus, the living stone, we were incorporated into God's building by God himself, built into the walls, into the spiritual walls. And not only are we stones that compose of the building, but we're also priests who minister, because notice what he says, to offer up spiritual sacrifices pleasing to God through Jesus Christ. So as a holy priesthood, our purpose and function is to offer spiritual sacrifices. We're a part of the building, and we're also ministering in the building. And remember, don't, it's not uh, physical. It's a spiritual building he's talking about. No longer do we offer sacrifices of blood. Why? Well, because Jesus was the blood sacrifice once for all. You don't need to do that anymore. Jesus is the sufficient sacrifice, right? We'll see later in just a moment, actually. We not only offer spiritual sacrifices, but we are also mediators to God for the world, to the world. As those priests were consecrated to God, separated from others, offering spiritual sacrifices, spiritual sacrifices. They pertain to life in the Spirit, spiritual, in that they pertain to life in the Spirit, which includes praise, thanksgiving, good moral conduct, broken and contrite hearts, lives of justice and compassion, doing what's right, we offer our very lives to God because of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. Spiritual in the sense that they pertain to life in the Spirit. And by the way, this is for free, when somebody says they're spiritual, it's like they, they steal that word. When the Bible talks about something that's spiritual, it means something pertaining to the Holy Spirit. People have hijacked that word to make it some mystical type of meaning. Spiritual means it's pertaining to things of the Holy Spirit, okay? And he says, these types of sacrifices that we've listed off here, that pleases God. I think the versions have acceptable. That's bad. The word stronger, it means pleasing, pleasant, like a good cup of coffee in the morning when you smell it oh right and then you put some chocolate in it I have to get chocolate in there somewhere it's 
pleasing, it's pleasant to God through Jesus Christ. Jesus who's the mediator. Jesus who's the foundational cornerstone of this spiritual temple. These are pleasing to God. These sacrifices, they're pleasing to God because of our dependence upon Christ. Our dependence upon Jesus Christ and His work. So he sets this up for us. The premise, holy, chosen, honored. This is who we are. Holy, chosen, honored worshipers. Verse 6, 4. Here's the basis for what he's just said. For it is contained in Scripture. And he quotes Isaiah 28, 16. Behold, I lay in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen, honored. And the one who believes in him shall not be disgraced. Let's unpack that. In the passage of Isaiah 28, the thought is a chosen, honored cornerstone was what God had chosen to be the sure foundation for Israel as opposed to rebellious leaders. To trust in this solid foundation will bring a firm standing. So that the one who believes in him, or it, meaning the stone, or, now, so Peter's making the connection, the stone he's talking about is Jesus. That's the living stone, right? Peter gives the true intent and meaning of Isaiah's prophecy. The one who believes in this one, this cornerstone, and I think our versions have disappointed, which seems kind of nonchalant. Just like, eh, disappointed. It's stronger than that, friends. It's the exact opposite to honored. Someone who's not honored is disgraced. Someone who's not honored is shamed. So the nuance of the word is that when you believe in Christ, you will never be shamed. You will never be and ume in the Greek means never. Never be disgraced. Never be shamed. One writer says this, quote, To believe in Jesus may entail rejection and disgrace in the eyes of pagan society, but never in the sight of God, end quote. Friends, they may reject you, but God will never reject you. Never. Ume in Greek. Ume, never. He'll never reject you. He will never reject you. And, and notice what he does. Closing off this point in verse 7. New American Standard has this precious value then is for you who believe. From the Greek it's this. To you therefore, the ones who believe, is honor. I think the ESV has it like this. To you who believe is honor or the honor is for you who believe. That's a perfect way to translate this. That's Peter's point. You believe you've embraced the living stone. He's honored and chosen. You are honored and chosen. Our culture, 
will shame you for believing in Jesus. For, quote-unquote, discouraging people not to believe in their own God. Remember that? On the contrary, God will honor and exalt us when we believe in Jesus Christ. How much will He exalt you? Well, that's simple. The very same way He exalted His Son. Because you're connected to His Son. Your union with His Son because you've embraced His Son. You see how much God loves His people. So He, clo he closes this off. Holy, chosen, honored worshipers sacrificing to God. And then He's going to go into us being witnesses. But then He does something here. Disbelieving, disobeying rejectors from the world. In verses 7 and 8. Disbelieving, disobeying rejectors from the world. In verses 7 and 8. In other words, sandwiched in the middle of God's gracious mercy toward us is a result of those who have not received His mercy and thus are disobedient to the Word, stumbling over and rejecting Jesus. But for those who disbelieve, who refuse to believe, who rejected this cornerstone. And then Peter quotes Psalm 18, excuse me, Psalm 118. The stone which the builders rejected, this one became the very cornerstone. Jesus is the head cornerstone, a stone set in the foundation of this building. Jesus applied this prophecy to himself, Matthew chapter 21. Peter preached on this in Acts chapter 4, this very passage, saying the same thing. Those who rejected Jesus Christ are totally wrong because God honored and exalted Him in the highest place. He's the head's cornerstone. I mean, in, in, in spite of the attitude of the Jewish leaders, Jesus was vindicated by God when He raised them from the dead. In spite of those who reject us, God will also vindicate us. God is for us. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Because we are in union with Christ, we share Christ's status and privilege. But they've rejected Him. They've dishonored Him. And yet God, the only way God shows mercy is because we're united to His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only way you're going to be shown mercy. Not when you reject Christ, but when you honor Christ. God will honor you when you're dependent upon Christ. If you're here this morning you're not a follower of Jesus, that message is for you. God will honor you if you depend upon Jesus Christ, who lived, who died, who rose, repents, and put your trust in Jesus alone. That's the gospel. And then notice what else what he does. Verse 8. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Now he quotes Isaiah chapter 8 verse 14. As a living cornerstone, Jesus causes people to stumble. And a rock that gives offense. People are offended at the gospel word. It offends. 
offends them that you say Jesus is the only way. It offends them that you say you must put your trust in Jesus Christ and not create your own God. It offends them that you must repent and trust in Jesus. It offends them, the gospel word. Either put your trust in this foundation or you're going to stumble over him. People don't like it when you say that. Is this not a powerful way? Here is a powerful way to encourage any persecuted community of Christians who face the onslaught of the world because of living their lives by living the living, abiding Word of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is great encouragement because Peter knows exactly how you feel. He says, ending in verse 8, for they stumble because they're disobedient to the word. Why do they stumble? Because they're disobedient to the gospel. Notice the word, he says. This takes us back to chapter 2, verse 3. The pure spiritual milk. Which takes us back to chapter 1, verse 23 through verse 25. This is the word that was gospeled to you. This is the word that they've rejected. Look, it's clear. The gospel message demands individual obedience. It does. They had active and entrenched or entrenched opposition to God's gospel word. People reject the gospel word and yet that's the very message that demands individual obedience. It does. And then he closes off verse 8 like this. And to this they were also appointed. Unto which also they were appointed. What does he mean by this? Some see this that it means predestined to damnation. And we need to remember something. We need to remember that this damnation is the destination of all of us without God's grace and mercy, right? God justly leaves people in the rebellion not to experience His mercy. Let me give you an illustration of this. And I don't say this to be flippant and I'm not trying to be disrespectful in any way. This is just by way of illustration. Paper plates are made to be thrown away. Right? I mean, sometimes you've got some person who says, hey, let's wash those and let's use them again. Sure, we'll do that. Uh, I'm feeling really nauseous right now. You know, so no, you don't normally do stuff like that. At least I hope. Paper plates are made to be thrown away. Now they got some paper plates and you can kind of reuse them. But the thought is, paper plates are made to be thrown away. You don't say, oh, don't throw those paper plates away, we're going to reuse them. People look at you like you're crazy. What do we mean then? Disobedience, Jesus rejecting people, should be condemned. Look, if God is not obligated to us at all, and we are totally obligated to Him in anything and everything, and if God says to embrace His Son and we refuse to do so, then He has every right to judge us. 
So it's not that God is just being a jerk. If people, place, or made to be thrown away and we are going exactly to where we should go because we've rejected His Son. That's what He's saying. The destiny of those who are disobedient is damnation. It is what those who are disobedient justly and rightly deserve. Disobedient don't want to be persuaded by God's word and disobedient should justly be condemned. And this is why the truth, the glorious doctrine of election makes it so unbelievably, amazingly dumbfounding. This is why election, which is based upon God's free choice, not our choice, not on your foreseen faith, this is why election is so unbelievably amazing. He should condemn us all, but election means that God decided to save some people by His mercy. And He didn't have to. Because He's not obligated to us, is He? He's not obligated to give us anything. Why does He just do this arbitrarily? No. God chooses the exact number of individuals which consist of millions and millions of people. He chooses the exact number of individuals that would perfectly display that He is a merciful, compassionate God who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving thousands, showing mercy. That's why. The perfect amount of individuals perfectly displays His mercy. That's election. So He says, we're holy, chosen, honored worshipers in this world. He talked to us about what of those who disbelieve. Now He moves into this second main point. Holy, chosen, honor witnesses to the world. That's in verses 9 and 10. Holy, chosen, honored witnesses to the world. Worshippers in the world. Witnesses to the world. or to put in the statement for you. We are a chosen, honored, holy priesthood that represents God to the world. Notice how he begins. But you. The strong contrast. But you. A ginormous contrast. But you. As opposed to those rejecting the living stone. But you as opposed to those receiving what they justly deserve, but you. And he's going to quote from Exodus chapter 19, verse 5, Hosea chapter 2, verse 25, Isaiah chapter 43, verses 20 to 21. He's going to highlight our privilege status. He's going to highlight our merciful status. Who are you, Christian? 
Who are you in God's sight, Christian? What is your position before God, Christian? Are you depressed? Christian, are you in despair? Christian, are you questioning God's love for you? Is sin weighing you down, Christian? Have trials been weighing you down? Do you feel far away from God? You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people unto possession. We're significant to God. We belong to Him. We are objects, the objects of His care, special care. Not because we're inherently lovely and significant. He is. You're not special. He's special. No. It's because He decides to make us the objects of His special care. Are you enamored and floored by God's mercy towards you? You should be. Elected or chosen race. Chosen like Jesus. We are a part of a whole new race of humanity. There's only one race. That's the human race. Well, now there's two. We're part of this new humanity. The new humanity with Christ as our head. With Christ as our king. With Christ as our leader. Because Jesus was chosen by God, we are chosen by God. Chosen race. A royal priesthood. Not simply that all Christians are priests. That's true, but that's secondary. But more so to be understood as an ambassadorial role. He's quoting here Exodus chapter 19. When the Lord said to Israel, You will be a kingdom of priests to me. You will represent me to the world. How is the world going to see God? Primarily. Thrust his people. How are they going to see the mercy of God? Through us, his people. We mediate God's presence to the world, just like Israel did, just like the priest did to the people of Israel, and just like Israel was called to be for the whole world. That's who we are. chosen race, royal priesthood, a holy nation, separate from the nations of the world. God has set us apart to represent Him to the world, just like Israel in the Old Testament were holy, but then He says nation. So this new humanity is not based on ethnicity, not based if you're from Mexico, Romania, uh, from Ecuador, Chile, from uh, Uzbekistan or Russia. No! It's Christ as our King. It's based on our allegiance to Jesus Christ as the monarch. That's the nation we are a part of. 
And then he says, a people for possession. We're God's possession, purchased by the blood of Christ. Remember he talked about that in chapter 1? You've been born again with precious blood as of a lamb, spotless and blameless. Because Jesus paid the ransom, we belong to God. In other words, we're God's prized special possession. When he should just let us go to the place we deserve, he says, I'm going to take you. You belong to me. And I want you to reflect me to the world. Because notice what he says. The next part of verse 9. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What's our purpose? It's a missions endeavor. We mediate God and his mercy to the world because of what he's done for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and mercy. Our function is to proclaim the saving, merciful, gracious acts of God. That's what he means by that. When he says excellencies, he means all that God has done in and through Jesus Christ for us. And the fact that other sinners, where we used to be ourselves, they can also experience it in Christ. They can also experience God's undeserved grace, love, compassion, and mercy. And notice, God didn't do this primarily for us. The focus is not on you. The focus is on Christ. The focus is on God. The focus is to glorify God and His mercy. That's the focus. Excellencies, all that God has done in and through Jesus Christ for us. And he does this for others too. So that what we're thinking is that we're not, oh, I'm so awesome type status. But what we're thinking is what mercy God has shown to us. That's what we're thinking about. At least what we should be. It's all God-centered. So it behooves us, it behooves us to speak and live God's deeds Power, grace, wisdom, mercy, love, holiness, and compassion. Notice, to this dark world, you are light. They are in darkness. They need us to witness to them. They need the mercy proclaimed to them. And they need to see us as a church showing each other mercy. And notice how he rounds it off. For you once were not a people, but now the people of God. You have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Previous status, present status. Who we were, who we are. We were at a place of lostness and no mercy. But now, you're his people. But now, you've received mercy.
God's great amazing mercy and election is totally unmerited you didn't do anything to deserve this not foreseen faith not because you chose God simply decided to choose you and show you mercy his choice I mean what comfort this gives us as we suffer in this life or we face rejection from this world suffering or rejection that from Peter's perspective it's only temporary it's only temporary as they've rejected and they killed Jesus and yet God vindicated him so they will reject and eventually possibly even to the point of killing you but God will vindicate you we are holy chosen honored worshipers in the world and we are holy chosen honored witnesses to the world we are God's most treasured possession unbelievable Father thank you we are just in dumbfounding all that you would show us such mercy And so in a few moments, we will offer to you, as meager as it is from us, our time of giving. Our voices to sing. Hearts praying together. And then words and actions that minister to each other. Not just today, but this week. We will offer to you spiritual sacrifices. And let us be your witnesses. Take a few moments, if you would, and ponder what we've seen in God's Word. Let's have a few moments of silence for you to think and to ponder and to see what we've we've understood from God's word this morning and after a few moments we'll do our time of giving we'll sing our last two songs and have our closing prayer let's sit, think and ponder